A welcome good afternoon. Let us pray as we come to God's word. Gracious God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, grant us now that we may see Jesus and know his love and feel his power and marvel at his mercy. Believe in his name to the King, immortal, invisible, eternal King. The only God be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the first Lord's Day of 2021 and what I would love to do is to, is to preach this sermon and then to have closed with taking the Lord's table together. It's, unfortunately we're unable to do that because of the Covid restrictions but I'd like you to bear that in mind that at the close of this sermon would have loved to have been able to meet and take the Lord's Supper together. But what sort of impression has Jesus really left on you? Is he your life? Is Jesus your food? How many of us would ever think to say, when someone said, how is your day, to say, I feasted on Christ today? Well, this is the word of God. We've looked at John 6 up to now. We've looked at the feeding of the 5,000. Then we looked at the walking, Jesus walking on the water. And we come to 22 verse 22 of chapter 6 today and I'll read 22 to 34 and then I'll pick up a bit later in the chapter and I'll come back to the middle section next time. So Jesus is, um, this is just after he said to them do not be afraid. We come to verse 22 of chapter 6 on the next day. The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They're seeking the Lord. They're looking for him. And verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him. Whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then we'll re pick up the reading in verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that come, came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The Gospel of John, as we've said before, as can be divided into two sections. The first half of the book uh, through to chapter 12 is called the Book of Signs because in this half of the book Jesus performed seven miraculous signs. In the second half of the book, chapter 13 onwards, is sometimes called the Book of Glory because we have to focus on the glory of Christ, in particular his suffering, death and resurrection. So the Book of Signs, the Book of Glory. And sprinkled throughout we have seven I am statements and this is the first of the I am statements in John 6 it's in the verse we didn't read Um, it's in verse 35 Jesus said to them I am the bread of life that's the first of the I am statements it's repeated in verse 48 I am the bread of life 51 it says it again I am the living bread that came down from heaven We'll say for another time the middle section of the actual I am statement. But this whole discourse is the I am the bread of life discourse. And it makes sense following on the heels of what we saw at the opening verses of John 6. The verse 15 verses where we studied together the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. In verse 22 it's quite clear The day after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds are eager to find Jesus. The crowds are going around the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus. And finally, in verse 25, they find him. Because they say, Rabbi, teacher, when did you get here? And Jesus can tell that there is an ulterior motive, that there is a question behind the question. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. If Jesus were around today, we would be offended by him. I want to make that really clear. Because sometimes he seems to go out of his way to poke people in the eye. And just when you're thinking, feeling sort of better in that eye, he pokes you in the other eye. Verse 26, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. To understand what the importance of what the Lord Jesus is saying, we need to see and understand the importance of this word signs. Verse 26, not because you saw signs. We've been studying 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Paul tells us that Jews demand miraculous signs. The Jews were looking for the Messiah, the anointed one, and they believed that the Messiah would display certain signs. Sign could also serve as a technical term at times. Now the Lord Jesus performs many signs and John in particular records seven of them. The crowds following Jesus see the signs but they do not see what the signs 
What meant? Well, does that signify what the signs signify? They don't make the connection. The crowds would take willingly a military general, but not a suffering servant. The crowds are impressed with the feeding of the 5,000. But instead of wanting more of Jesus, they want more food. And we see this over and over again in John's Gospel, and we see it in our lives. They want not so much the giver, they want the gift. It's like they say, Jesus, can you get me presents? Can you get me food? Can you get me a job? Can you get me good grades? I want that. The people, and we too, want all sorts of things from God. How much did they, how much do you really want God? So, then look at what Jesus says in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. Now, clearly he is not saying to us, quit your jobs, never eat again, because that food will perish. No, that's the misunderstanding. We often think, we think that's what the Lord is saying. But what the Lord is talking about is the all-consuming passion to have more and more fish and bread. Jesus says you need to find something better as your goal, as your purpose to work for. Jesus says, why are you working feverishly, all-consumingly for food that perishes? Jesus says, you're chasing me around the Sea of Galilee because you want more food. But they were devoting all of their energy toward what perishes instead of what lasts. These things can be good things. Some of them are necessary things. And all of them can be good things in the right place and at the right time. So Jesus is not saying, go live in a cave somewhere with your Bible. What Jesus is saying is, what do you think will really ever really last? What do you think will last? What are you working toward? What are you striving for? What is the passion of your life? Please don't make your passion bread and fish. It won't last. Just like your house will not last. Even your family will not last. What is your all-consuming passion? Is it something that will perish? Rather work for something that will last. Verse 28. And they said to him. What must we do to be doing the th works, the things of God? So they're saying, tell us what we must do. What is the magic potion? What is the formula? And Jesus answered them in verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now we're saved by faith not by works, but to live a life of faith requires pressing in, a pulling, a striving to have Jesus front and centre in your life. And Jesus is asking them a hard thing. In fact, when we get to verse 60, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can, who can hear it, who can listen to it? To believe in Jesus was and is costly. And it would be costly because... Almost everyone else around them believed something else. You see, at that point, nobody believed that Jesus was the Christ, not with any kind of understanding. So that would be costly. It would be costly because by professing their faith in Christ, they were saying we depend on you. And more than that, you are the one 
that we have been waiting for. Well, it takes a lot of faith, which explains why in verse 30 they asked for a sign. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And remember that the Jews seek signs, and they quote there from Exodus 16, God gave the children of Israel manna, bread from heaven to eat. After the Israelites came out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, they spent time in the wilderness, and there God provided manna from heaven. And it seemed part of the messianic expectation was that the Messiah, a great prophet like Moses, would again feed the people with manna, bread from heaven. There's a Jewish text called Tu Baruch, which dates to within a few decades of John's Gospel. And this is what Tu Baruch says. It shall come to pass that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high and they will eat of it in those years. So there was a messianic expectation on the behalf of the Jews that God will repeat that manna miracle, that manna provision for them. Jesus knows that that's what they're expecting. So he corrects them. He says, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. This isn't about Moses. That was my father. And then secondly, the real bread from heaven is he who comes from heaven. You had manna from heaven, but the real manna is the sun. And Jesus is saying, you are right. The Messiah will be a prophet greater than Moses. He will again bring manna from heaven, but not the manna that spoils. And remember that from Exodus. They couldn't even collect it. The Israelites had to trust God to give them enough. And if they tried to hoard it up, if they tried to hoard food, it would spoil. No, no, no. Jesus said, I will give you manna that never spoils, that never perishes, that you can keep forever. Because I tell you, I am the manna. Man does not live by bread alone, but by, from, by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am the word. I am the bread from heaven. I am the manna. Feast on me. But of course the crowd do not understand it. They're still thinking bread, bread, earthly bread. We ate real well bread. So Jesus then makes himself clear with the I am statement in verse 35. I am the bread of life. In verse 48, I am the bread of life, and we'll come to that another time. But in verse 49, we're just tracking our way through a little bit. He picks up the explanation of Exodus 16 and explains the metaphor to say, not only I am, am I the manna from heaven, but you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, put yourselves in their shoes or their heads. We've had communion before we understand the language of body blood flesh blood but think about it too they didn't have that imagery they didn't have the imagery of the bread and wine no they all they see just give you in their shoes and their heads they see a person in front of them saying you must eat my flesh well, what would have been going through their mind that doesn't sound clean jesus we're not cannibals, Jesus. See, we're so used to the language of bread and wine and blood and we're washed in the blood and we're saved by the blood. Precious, precious blood of Jesus. Shed on Calvary. Shed for rebels. Shed for sinners. 
shed for me. If you get a cut and start bleeding, do you think we should drink that? No, you know something is wrong. Someone is hurt. Someone is injured. Which is why in the first century, Christians were misunderstood. One of the misunderstandings were, was that they were cannibals. Some people thought that they didn't have a god because they didn't have statues. They couldn't see it. Some people thought they were incestuous because they had love feasts and called each other brother and sister. And some people thought they were cannibals because they spoke about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of their god. So verse 52. The uh, Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus follows up. Again, the Lord Jesus is not the sort of Messiah you think he would be, nor is he even the Messiah you probably would like him to be if you were there. We're probably thinking, Jesus, just help them out a little bit. But Jesus has no problem being misunderstood by those who are willfully misunderstanding him. To be sure, if you come with a broken and contrite heart, he will not deny. But if you're disputing, if you're grumbling, it is like Jesus says in the parables. We think about the parables that Jesus told them because he was such a master storyteller. He was such a good teacher. No, go and read Matthew 13. Go and read Mark 4. It's exactly the opposite. Jesus said, I tell everything in parables so that for those who are inside get it and the out, those outsiders don't. So they don't get it. He doesn't make a concession to their misunderstanding. Instead, he appropriates their words with all their offensiveness and he doubles down on it and says, as if to say, if you want misunderstanding, I'll give you some more reason to misunderstand. Verse 53, bearing that in mind, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now we see verse 60, they say this is a hard saying. You can read the commentators, they go back and forth about whether Jesus is talking about the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And I think John Calvin got it right, which is usually a safe place to land. John Calvin says on the one hand, Jesus is not trying to lay out the Lord's Supper because that would have been a category they did not have. They were not thinking about a sacrament and besides, what he says here is too absolute. Because if he is just really talking first and only about the sacrament, he would be saying, if you do not ever take the sacrament, you cannot have eternal life. And as long as you eat the sacrament, then it doesn't matter, you'll live forever. No, that's not right. It's, it's, that's too exact, too formulaic, too mechanical. So Jesus is not trying to lay out the Lord's Supper per se. But at the same time, the spiritual significance of what he is saying, we now see, is perfectly captured in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a picture of the kind of feasting of Christ. It's a picture of the feasting on Christ that we must do by faith. So that's why John Calvin says there is nothing said here that is not figured there is nothing said here that is not figured and actually presented to believers in the Lord's Supper. Instead, we might say that Christ intended the, Lord, his, the Holy Supper to be a seal of this discourse. So this discourse was not to lay out the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Supper is a seal of the spiritual realities taught in this discourse.
John Calvin says that is also the reason why John makes no mention of the Lord's Supper. This mystery is represented in a symbol whenever the church celebrates the sacred supper. Augustine said, believe and you have eaten, believe and you have eaten. And we come to the Lord's table so that by believing we may eat again. You see why I would really have loved to had the Lord's Supper as the church today. But clearly there is a metaphor at work. Look at verse 54. And I think it's the same way of saying what he does in verse 35. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, the verse 35 is, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Eating is the same as coming and drinking is the same as believing. Never growing hungry, never becoming thirsty is the same as eternal life. Never growing hungry, never becoming thirsty is a picture, is the same thing as eternal life. That's how spiritual language works. And Jesus has made this point time and time again in his discourse. Eternal life, satisfying life, is to eat of me, to drink of me, to devour me, to feast on me. Do not make Jesus more spiritual than he is. Sometimes we think Jesus comes along and says, shame on you for caring about your life. Shame on you for caring about food. Shame on you for caring about riches. But that's not what Jesus does throughout the Gospels. No, what he does is to point us to real life, real bread, real riches. So here he does not say, why do you want to live? Why do you want food? Instead, he says, I know you want food. I know you want to live. Let me tell you how to live forever. Let me tell you how to feast and never grow hungry again. He isn't rebuking them for their desires, longings, hopes and dreams. He's just saying, I want you to work for that which will last. Jesus says, I want you to be happy, eternally happy. So don't make that your all-consuming passion It'll, it will spoil, trust me. Don't hold out your hope for the manna. The people in the wilderness who ate the manna from heaven, they're all dead. But if you feast on the one who has come from heaven, you will live forever. Ten times we have in this chapter that phrase, come down from heaven. Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear. It's only a week or so since we celebrated the incarnation. I am the one you've been waiting for. I have been sent from the Father I come from the Father. If you listen to the Father, learn from the Father, you will come to me. And that is, and is that not an outrageously arrogant statement for Jesus to make if he is nothing more than a free-spirited man who knows how to draw a crowd? Just a holy man, just a wonder worker, a miracle worker, a sign provider. No, Jesus will have none of that. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. There is no genuine life apart from him. Maybe some of you think that I can be very spiritual, but not religious. I've heard that said. I'm a very spiritual person. I say define both terms. If religion means to you a man-made effort to prove yourself to God, then we don't want that sort of religion. But if spiritual means I'm sort of into God and divine things and angels and mysteries and coincidences, and but I don't need religion, I don't need doctrine Church, church membership, Bible, statements, the Apostles' Creed. We don't need that. I don't need to be locked in. No, there is no one who is truly spiritual who doesn't know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why I love saying these creeds, because it's stating our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
That's what Jesus says. We're liable to misunderstand this passage in one consequential way. We're liable, liable to hear it and then think. That is good. That's a great word. And Yes, I believe in Jesus. And I hope everyone else puts their faith in Jesus. And that's why I share my faith. And that's why I'm praying that more people become Christians, which is good. But Jesus is speaking of a perpetual eating of faith. He does not say if you just want to live forever one time, one time I want you to hear that magical words and I just want you to say the prayer and I want you to invite you me into your heart. Just do it. No, what he says is that if you're spiritual, if you're born again, you will continue to feast on me. You will continue to come to me, live with me, abide with me. In other words, eating and drinking is not one time event. It is the repeated activity of faith. And that's why we see it pictured, imaged in the sacraments. The washing that is shown forth in the waters of baptism is the washing away of sin once and for all. And the Lord's Supper is to feast again and again and again and come to the meal of faith. But it points to something. What are you eating? What are you drinking? How do you eat? If you were to have a real meal with your family, what would you do? It would take planning, preparation, take time as it does to feast on Christ. Planning, preparation, time. is something you do every day. We eat every day, and most of us like it. Most of us eat more than once a day. Three times a day, and then dessert, eleventh is a snack and supper. We like to eat. But why do you eat? Because we eat because we need it. Why do you feast on Jesus? Because we need to. We need forgiveness. We need grace. We need God. Why do you eat food? You do it because it's a time with family and friends. Why do we come to the Lord's table? Because it's a covenantal meal. In the ancient world, you didn't spread a meal for people who are your enemies. It was your friends and family. Why do you feast on Christ? You will not keep coming back unless you know your hunger and can feel your thirst. What are you really filling up on? You have a hunger. You have a sense of sin. You cannot wipe away. Are you filling up on Christ? If you are hungry and you know that you are hungry and you know that only Jesus can feed you, then believe, receive, come, follow, eat, drink. May the Lord bless the word for his glory. Amen.